After entering uh, a New York City um, subway station the first week of 2007, January of 2007, 19-year-old film student Cameron Hollapeter suffered a seizure while he stood there waiting for the train to arrive. As his body convulsed there on that platform, out of control, he stumbled down off that platform and fell onto the tracks, directly in front of an inbound train. Fortunately, a 50-year-old construction worker named Wesley Autry noticed his distress. Standing on the platform with his two daughters, Autry realized that nobody else in that station was going to help this young man. And according to later interviews, he decided, listen, I'm the only one to do it. So placing himself in great danger, Autry um, jumped down onto the tracks and grabbed a hold of Hollapeter. With only seconds to spare, he rolled with that younger man. He rolled with him into the drainage ditch um, trough cut between the, the tracks. And an instant later, the car thundered over both of them with only inches to spare. Amazingly, neither man was injured. <laughs> Maybe you remember this story. It was an incredible story. In the ensuing days, Autry was rewarded handsomely for his, his bravery. Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who was mayor of New York City at that time, presented him the city's highest award for civic achievement, calling him a great man who makes us all proud to be New Yorkers. Elliot Sander, executive director of the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, called Autry's rescue a death-defying act of bravery. We truly have not seen anything like this. He was at the right place at the right time, and he did the right thing. Autry was given $10,000 as a reward. He was given a, a trip with his family to Disney World. Uh, he was given a year's supply of Metro cards from the Metropolitan Transportation Authority. His boss even went so far as to buy him a hero sandwich. <laughs> In the end, Wesley uh, Autry was just glad that he could help. This is what he said. He said, it's like a fairy tale come true. What a better way to start the year off than saving a life. Hmm. This morning, I want to affirm that Wesley Autry, what he said there, that there is nothing better that we can do than save a life. And to do that, what I want to do this morning is I want to give us a biblical understanding of what it takes to save a life. Um, I want to give you four truths from Scripture about missions. Four truths from Scripture about missions. The first truth is simply this. God is already active in mission work. Romans 1 and 2. I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1 this morning. We're going to be skipping around a lot of different passages of Scripture, but this one I want you to turn to today. Uh, the other ones are all listed in your bulletins. You can find them. They'll be on the screen. Um, but look with me at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Look what it says here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, catch this, suppress the truth. Notice that phrase, suppress the truth. There is a truth, the Bible tells us, 
emanating from the heart of the, of the Father God to the whole world. And the only thing people can do if they don't want to see that truth is to suppress it, to hold it down. <laughs> um, it's like trying to uh, uh, hold a, a buoy underneath the water. You know, you just kind of suppress it. People have to forcibly hold down the truth. And here's the truth. Look at me in the next verse, 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God the missionary, catch this, God the missionary is already there making himself known to the world. And one of the ways, Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 1, one of the ways that he makes himself known is through his creation. I mean, just walk, you've been outside recently, right? This beautiful fall weather, seeing those leaves change. I mean, we get so excited about the leaves changing. I mean, you go down the parkway, some beautiful red and orange and, and a mix of some green still in there. The trees are just gorgeous during this fall season. A couple of weeks ago, my wife Becky and I had the chance to go out to Oregon, and we went out to Oregon and, and then went up along the coast and uh, drove along the coast of Oregon, and the leaves were changing there, and uh, there was, it was gorgeous. The, the colors were brilliant, um, creative, a, a, a perfect creative blend. And then we were, of course, uh, next to the ocean, and uh, like we all get, I mean, I, the ocean is, is incredible. Um, we went to a place called Cannon Beach, and there at Cannon Beach, there's a famous uh, uh, site called the Haystack Rock, and of course, we took selfies in front of the Haystack Rock um, there on Cannon Beach. And as we were walking around on that beach, I had this thought. I, I thought, what if all you had was nature? That's all you had. How much could you really know about God? As I thought about it a little bit, I, I realized exactly what Paul was saying here. You can see from nature that God is a God of unfathomable power. I mean, I looked out at that ocean and the, the huge ocean, and it seemed endless to me as I looked out there, and the, the, the waves would continually move and they would pound against the shore. Boundless power. Couldn't stop it. And you see there, there's this incredible intelligence behind all of it. God's speech and God's power, God's majesty poured out on a world desperately in need of, of hope, beauty, awe. I mean, they come from God. See, before we ever dreamed of doing missions, God was actively doing mission. He was making himself known. In fact, Romans chapter 2, just look over with me in the next chapter. Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about another way that God makes himself known to us. Look with me at verse 15. Romans 2, verse 15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. God, see, has built into mankind a moral standard. 
All people know uh, that there's a right and a, a wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, it goes beyond relativism. It goes beyond a, a, a subjective feeling. There are indeed transcendent moral realities. And God, the missionary, <laughs> has made himself known to the world through his creation and through our own conscience. So then, of course, the natural question comes up, why? Why does God uh, give us all this beauty in creation? I mean, why does God put himself on display even in our moral conscience? The answer to that truth is truth number two. Because God is the primary seeker of the lost. See, before anyone ever sought God, God was seeking them. God is the first seeker. He's the prime seeker. Ezekiel 34, 11 and 12 says this, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Ezekiel here in this passage is picturing Israel as a flock of sheep. And their shepherds, um, that is their, their kings and their leaders and their, their uh, prophets, they have failed them. But all is not lost. Israel's true king, Israel's true shepherd, Yahweh himself will end up seeking out his own people and will look after them, Ezekiel tells us. Later on in the New Testament, Jesus picks up this image, right, when he described his own mission. In that one statement in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, the reason that God displays himself to the world, the reason God goes ahead is because God is a seeking God, constantly seeking those who do not have a relationship with him. We have to understand that. We have to get a hold of that. And understand that the seeking didn't just start with Ezekiel or with, with, with Jesus. No, it started way back in the garden. Um, do you remember what happened? Remember that scene, what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Remember what took place after that? They covered themselves, right? And then when they heard God coming in that garden, they ran off and they hid, Scripture says. Catch that. I mean, isn't it amazing? I always think about that picture. They're trying to hide from God. Of course, we try doing that all the time, don't we? Do you know what God did there? Here's what's incredible. Sovereign God, maker of the universe, the, the maker of that garden, the maker of Adam and Eve, all-powerful, all-knowing God, he went hunting for them, didn't he? Scripture says, Behold, the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Can you picture it? <laughs> Can you picture that? God calling out, Adam! Adam, where are you? Eve, hey, where are you? 
Like, Adam, like, like God is playing hide and seek with Adam and Eve. I mean, don't you think God knew where Adam was, where Eve was? Of course he did. So what was he doing? He was seeking them. I mean, that's our gracious God, always pursuing, always seeking the lost, primarily seeking. (laughs) Have you ever lost something that you really cared about? I mean, okay, be be honest. Your kids aren't here. How many of you ever really, um, you ever lost a kid? Okay, we got we got several. Lost a kid, sure. Um, Pastor Lon Allison shares his story about a time when him and his wife lost their son, who was three years old at the time. Um, it was a warm April or May morning, he says. I was shaving, getting ready for a trip. My wife says, Honey, have you seen Eric? I said, No. Isn't he with you? Well, no. Well, did you check the bedroom? Well, yes. Did you check the basement? Yes, intensity rising. Suddenly I realized that our three-year-old boy was gone. Out the front door we went. Maria went to the right. I went to the left, yelling, seeking, Eric, Eric, Eric. Our neighbor Dave, out raking his yard, said, Lon, what's the matter? I said, Eric is gone. He said, I'll help. He went east, and I went west. Maria went south and north. You know, moms can do it all. Searching for my son. We met back in three or four minutes. It seemed like three or four hours. Hadn't found him. Breathing hard, I said, honey, honey, go call 911. She ran in to call the police. I jumped in the car. I mean, you hear all that stuff about the longer they're gone, the greater danger you are in not to find them. So I thought, listen, if I go in the car, I can cover more ground. I could start circling the blocks. As I headed down the street, I could see every leaf on any tree moving one centimeter. I mean, I saw ants walking on the sidewalk. I heard grass growing because my boy was gone. One block, no Eric. Two blocks, no Eric. As I came back to our house, I saw a police car in front of it. The police car's pulling away and Maria and neighbor Dave are standing on the corner, shoulders no longer hunched, smiles on their faces. My wife said, he's found. I said, where? Well, my wife had dressed our little boy in his ash-bigash overalls, dark blue denim with matching shirt, a little three-year-old boy in dark uh, dark blue denims and dark blue shirt had curled up in the corner of a dark blue couch in our family room. Wound himself in the corner of it, sleeping soundly as mother and father. Delirious, yeah, and with shaving cream still attached, we're out seeking him. And Lon Anderson says this. My son Eric was gone only a few minutes. But in my brief minutes, I began to grasp what God is doing 24 hours a day. A 24-7 God seeking lost people, seeing every ant that crawls and hearing the grass grow. God is a seeking God. I mean, you remember the three stories from Luke 15, right? The story about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. (laughs) That chapter from Luke 15, it's all about the nature of God. To drop everything and seek the one. 
not the masses. I mean, you know, every time we light a candle and put it over here on the organ, someone, we're celebrating, someone in our midst, through our ministry here at First Free, has come to know Jesus Christ. We do that because in Luke 15, it tells us the angels in heaven rejoice every time God finds one because he's a missionary out seeking. That's who God is. As much as you believe you are seeking God, guess what? It turns out that God was seeking you all along. The nature of God is initiator of all things. C.S. Lewis says this, um, I never had the experience of looking for God. It was the other way around. He was the hunter. I was the deer. He stalked me, took unerring aim, and fired. <laughs> See, God goes ahead of us. He's already active in mission work. Why? Because he is a seeking God. So then here's the question that we have to ask following up with this. If God is already active in mission work and he is the seeker, then why do we do missions? Why do missions at all? Why send out missionaries and support missionaries and pray for missionaries? And the answer is truth number three. Because God includes us in his work. He calls us to partner with him in his rescue mission. Five times, in fact, in Scripture, um, Jesus gives us what is oftentimes called the Great Commission. It's not just one time in Scripture. It's given to us five different times in five different ways in the four Gospels and also in the book of Acts. You know, we oftentimes just summarize it with that one. Um, you know, we think about the one at the end of Matthew. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. But see, God doesn't just give it to us that one time. He gives it to us five times. It's like Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to miss this, friends. I don't want to miss you. I miss what, what, what assignment I'm going to give you. And that is, listen, you are included in God's work. How? How are we included in God's work? Well, one way I want to suggest is through prayer. You see, we need to remember that anyone who comes to Christ and receives his offer of salvation, that that's a supernatural activity that's taking place between God and a soul. And we also have to remember that there's a supernatural realm of evil that's seeking to thwart what God is all about. And I don't begin to understand all of that. I, I really don't. Even as a pastor, I, I don't understand all what's going on, but I agree with C.S. Lewis when he says, every square inch in the universe is being fought for, taken by Satan, countertaken by God. And if that's the case, our primary task <laughs> To be involved with Christ in his work, God with his work, is the task of prayer. Sharing God's story, one of our, 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 our norms, and testifying for Christ is the activity that we're engaged in and our missionaries are engaged in. But listen, what occurs in the life of those we're sharing with, that's all a mystery. The Bible says it all over the place. It uses the Greek word mysteria or mysterion. 
In other words, it's the mystery of the gospel. No one can really get to the bottom of it. It, it, it occurs in a, in a supernatural realm. And from what we know of Scripture, there's a war going on, a war that, listen, uh, in the world, we, we don't see. Uh, 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 it's a war waged for your, for your best friend. It's a war waged for your children. It's a war waged for your neighbors. It's a war that's being fought for the people of the Dominican Republic um, where Rick and Becky Mackey serve. A war being battled in Europe where Katie Dungeon serves. A war fought in the Middle East and in Africa where we have other missionaries that we support. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Catch that? Blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Blinded. A spiritual blinding, unable to see. I mean, even Billy Graham couldn't convince someone who was spiritually blind. The greatest mission in the world has no chance to open the eyes of someone who is spiritually blind. So the Apostle Paul says our first activity in the work of the gospel is the work of prayer. We've got to be about prayer, friends. 1 Timothy 2, Paul says to Timothy, I urge you, first of all, first of all, before you do anything else, pray for everyone. Why? Down in verse 4, because God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. <laughs> pray for everyone. Why? Because God desires all to be saved. Somehow in the mysterion of the gospel, the prayers of the saints, you and I, our prayers participate in the divine work of God. So pray. So let me ask you something real practical here. Do you have a missionary's name on your prayer list? Do you even personally know a missionary to pray for? Listen, here's what you need to do. If you don't have someone's missionary on your prayer list or you don't know someone personally to pray for that way, here's what you do. Go to our church website, okay? Click on the missions tab. Find a missionary on that tab that you want to pray for. Read their biography. Decide to begin to get to know them and their ministry and what you can pray for. Contact them and ask uh, to get their email updates so you can be about prayer for them. Develop a burden for them. Ask God, God, give me a vision how I can pray for them and pray. I'll just pray, God, help all of our missionaries. No, be specific. Find a prayer, find a missionary specifically you want to pray for. And have a burden for. Let me give you another way that we can participate in God's work as a missionary. And that is simply this. Shift our way of thinking. Shift our thinking. See, everything, everything starts in the mind. And if you want to change, uh, you have to change the way you feel. And if you want to change the way you feel, you have to change the way you think. So shift your thinking. One way is to shift our thinking from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. What I mean by that is to move from thinking about my plans and my agenda and my goals and my ambitions and my needs over to 
God's plans and God's goals and God's agenda. What's God have in mind today? In Acts 1, Jesus, after his death and resurrection, told his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Great commission. Do you notice what Jesus tells us? The first thing that will happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon us? He says, you'll be my witnesses everywhere. The number one proof that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, friends, is not if you have some spiritual gifts, amazing as they might be. The number one uh, proof that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is your witness. It's your witness. When we're God-centered, we will be his witnesses. We must also shift our thinking not only um, from self-centeredness to God-centeredness, but also to, to local, from local to global. Mark 16, 15, again, <laughs> here's a great commission. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole uh, creation. When Jesus told his followers to go into the whole world, I, think about this. Um, don't you think they were overwhelmed? I mean, it's a big world out there, especially if the only way of getting around is on foot or on donkey or maybe on ship through the Mediterranean. I mean, today we've got planes and we've got trains and we've got automobiles. I mean, we have email and we have uh, cell phones and we have televisions. I mean, we get updates from around the world every night on our TVs and on our phones. Uh, Jesus, he may have the whole world in his hands, but you and I, like no generation in all of history, we have the whole world at our fingertips, right? Currently, my daughter, Hope, and uh, her uh, husband, Sawyer, are in Kenya. They're visiting some good uh, friends there who are serving on the, the mission field and went over there to encourage them, and they've been there for 10 days. We just got a text this morning, hey, we're heading back to Nairobi. We're getting ready to fly home. Amazing. Now, I'm sure in their 10 days that they've been there, they're getting an eyeful. I mean, their world has expanded. All of a sudden, it moves from local focus to global focus. Uh, their burden has grown deeper. Their desire to pray and support and encourage has become more passionate. Do you want to shift your thinking from local to global? My suggestion is go on a short-term mission trip. Yesterday morning, if you were here, and if you weren't here, you really missed it. We had uh, different uh, people share about some short-term missions that they went on this summer. One of them was uh, Linka Bragg and her two daughters, Adela and Petra, who went to Czech Republic this summer, and they served there in an English camp, <laughs> um, supported five Ukrainians that were able to come to that English camp with them. Um, what a great way for them, all of them, to see what God is doing in the wrong world. They shared that with us yesterday. See, we need to shift our thinking from local to global. Now listen, if you're like me, maybe that's getting you nervous to think about that. This idea of going, of being maybe including God's work, you know, around the globe, you're kind of getting a little nervous. Then let me give you a fourth truth that I want to remind us of this morning. That's simply this. God joins us in the mission. It's not all up to us. 
I mean, what were the last words that Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20? He said, I will be with you to the very end of the age. I will be with you. Do you think God would ever leave this whole missions thing up to us? <laughs> would you? Okay, men, specifically, uh, those of you who are parents who have watched your wife go through the labor and delivery thing, um, if you're right in the midst of uh, the delivery and the doctor says, um, listen, i got to take a break, you take over. <laughs> um, what do you do? I mean, no doctor in right mind would do that. No. See, missions is a spiritual rebirth. This is not work that God would leave us alone to do. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. My son Jacob was young, maybe three years old, maybe younger. I, don't, I can't remember exactly. He was learning to tie his shoes. And I remember we were really anxious. We were getting ready to go someplace. We were kind of in a little hurry. Come on, Jacob, let me help you tie your shoes, I said. I know you are, it's a hard time uh, trying to tie your shoes, and we have to go. But uh, Jacob looked up at me and said, no, no. Um, I, I thought, okay. Um, he's working on it, and uh, he's working on it, and he's working on it. He's going to do it. I wanted him to learn to tie his own shoes, but there was, I just knew there was no way he was going to be able to tie his own shoes. Finally, after a few minutes, I don't know how long it went, probably longer than I wanted, <laughs> um, he looked up at me with some resignation and said, Daddy, I can't do it. I said, I know, but I can. And I quickly helped him tie his shoes. Friends, as we seek to do missions to bring men and women and boys and girls to Christ here in this neighborhood, in this city, in this uh, state, country, in this world. We have to begin with the end. We have to remember that we can't do it. That missions is a God thing from the very beginning. It is something only the Father can do. God, the missionary, is the primary seeker. And you and I, we have the thrill of joining him on his mission. So let me ask you, how will you join him this next year? Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being the, the initiator and the seeker. Lord, that you called out to each one of us. You called out to me years ago. Joel, where are you? Lord, we thank you for the fact that we get to participate and, and we get to join you in that mission. Lord, individually and as a church body, we pray that we would continue to be on mission with you, to trust you, to pray, to seek you, and what you are going to be doing to join you in what you're doing around the world and even here in this neighborhood, in this city. Lord, um, we commit ourselves to you. 
Teach us, guide us. How can we join you in your mission? In your son's precious name, we pray these things. Amen.